everyone. Once again, welcome back to HOA. It's a true story. Today, our guest is Becky Jolly. She's a community management consultant with Omni Community Management Company. Today, we're talking with Becky about the other side of common interest developments. We call them the outsiders, co-ops, and more. Becky, thank you for joining us today, and welcome to HOA. It's a true story. Thank you for having me. Also joining us today, my co-host, Bill Mann, and I am Reagan Brown. Thank you, Reagan. So Becky, tell us about your background and how you got into the whole community management industry. Everybody always seems to have such a surprising entry. I, I love hearing this part of the show. So for me, it started with my mom, who was board president at her homeowners association. And I was 17. She lured me in with... Uh, <laughs> getting me to be the pool monitor out at her association. And the lure was that I would be able to tell adults no, and that I would find them if they didn't sign in. And me at 17, I'm like, yeah, that's the best job ever. In Sacramento heat every afternoon, making 75 bucks every two weeks. Yeah, that's a tough start, but I know a few other people that have started as pool monitors. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a little, you know, didn't think anything would happen of it. And then I got to know Celeste from Riverside very well, and she took me under her wing, and nice. she raised me up to be a manager. Well, let's start with explaining what the difference is between a co-op and a regular condo complex. Oh, I love this part. So with co-ops, you get a say in who your neighbors are. That is the biggest difference. For you to join a cooperative, you have to go for an interview with the board or their interviewing selection committee. And some, some do require financial background checks to ensure that you can maintain paying the monthly assessments. If they're a mobile home cooperative that is under uh, housing and community development, then they have to keep to specific guidelines as far as the amount of assessments they can charge. And they have to maintain that the assessments are within that person's budget because they are responsible to make sure that they are same as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that they're Solid. doing good for the whole versus the, you know, the minor. Hmm. When you move into a condo, you chances are haven't read a anything. When you move into a co-op, you, through the interview process, not only have to read the documents, you get interviewed on the documents, you also have to sign off that you read all of the documents. Wow. And the other great thing about it is the co-op has the right to evict. So a homeowner who is just not a good fit for the community, maybe they are breaking rules such as causing nuisances, maybe they're smoking and they shouldn't be, the co-op has the right to terminate their occupancy and then turn around and sell their shares. Because in a co-op, you don't own anything other than your furniture that you bring in. Everything is owned by the co-op. So you get tenancy agreement, also an occupancy agreement, and that occupancy agreement says that you're going to abide by the rules or they have the right to start evictions. I take it these are typically not real large then because it would seem to be pretty difficult if you know you have 300 units and you're trying to interview in 
make sure everybody's on the up and up for that large of a complex. Is that correct? Or am I making assumptions? You're making assumptions. Co-ops are a huge thing, mostly on the East Coast. When you're going into, you know, the larger buildings in New York and everything, those do have. I think Seinfeld did an episode on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's, always, actually... there's always the movie where they have to interview with the co-op board or they're in trouble with the co-op board. Right. <laughs> Hulu has a series, Only Murders in the Building. <laughs> and the co-op board in season one, oh, I'm spoiling it but I'll spoil it anyways, tries to evict one of the podcasters from that show. And then also if you've watched Ocean's Eleven, where it's all the ladies, mm -hmm. at the very end, one of the actresses is like, I'm on the co-op board, because it's a huge honor for them. I so see why. It's, it's a lot of fun to manage co-ops, in my opinion. They are a lot more work, because you do have to... You have to know a lot more, especially if it's a mobile home cooperative. You have to know housing and community developments, mobile home residency laws, in addition to Davis-Sterling, in addition to civil code, in addition to federal. Does Davis-Sterling so and civil code apply to co-ops? Yes, they do. Okay. Now, it doesn't apply equally to all co-ops. It's all in how they're defined. Okay. So if you're going to buy into one of these, do you go through a regular real estate agent? Is there an escrow or is it yes. just the interview with the board? So there's still all those normal purchasing. Still all the normal purchasing. You still have to get all of your documents. You have to go through the escrow transfer. Um, there's additional paperwork because they have to sign a stock certificate. They have to um, sign the occupancy, the subscription. Well, do they pay property taxes if they don't own the buildings? It's how it's defined in the occupancy agreement. So for some cooperatives, the co-op has made an arrangement with the county in which the county taxes, the usually the subscription is going to determine the amount of square footage. So the tax assessor can then assess based upon the square footage by the share amount, which is all given and, and talked to them. You have to enter into a very specific agreement and you have to monitor that agreement. The other downside of having those agreements is when somebody defaults, the association could end up on the hook. So when they're doing the transfers, you're required to notify the county. So you have to send in a cooperative transfer form to let them know it's gone from Mary Sue to Jane Doe and here's the prices. So that way they can then assess that. And that's on the cooperative side to ensure that the person selling has also done their due diligence. So how do the property taxes get adjusted then as the units go up in value? Is that something that's happening on every transaction or is it something they come and audit or how's that work? So it happens on every transaction. Okay. There isn't, whereas in most traditional homes, you could potentially get reductions because of age. That doesn't apply. You are charged what you're charged by the tax assessor's office. Now, if you're in a mobile home cooperative, you may actually be registering your home with the Department of Motor Vehicles. And I know that sounds crazy. It does sound crazy. But it's all in how the house was put onto the land because they're effectively renting a space. They're not renting the house. The house is their property. 
So they have to sell it, move it, and there's there's restrictions about it. Some associations can say your house can be no long, no older than 10 years for you to move it into the association. If it's a fixed facility, mm -hmm. does it tend to fall though more like a like if you were going to take a balcony inspection law, would they fall under the apartment side or would they fall under the uh, condo community common interest side? Depends on how they're defined. Yeah, because most of, I spent the 80s converting a lot of the stock cooperatives into condominiums because of the financing problems they were having back then on getting individual loans. There were very few banks that would do it at the time. So most of the documents we had said stock cooperative apartment complex. It wasn't, it didn't call it a condominium, so. Hmm. That is really interesting that they, well, do they, do they vary real drastically? I mean, obviously on the East Coast, you gave a really good analogy of it being more like a big apartment building type thing, but on the West Coast in California, do you see more that are buildings or do you see more that are mobile home park type co-ops? There are more mobile home park type cooperatives just because that is the easiest path to an association being born. So when it comes to a mobile home, either it is a single family owner or it's a cooperative because they are supported. They get loans through HCD, Housing and Community Development, to purchase the land and the park from the owner. The government actually helps the owners hold meetings and convert from a single owner to a mobile home cooperative. Hmm. That way, there's also standards in place which is why they do appreciate doing the assistance with the conversion because this is putting more homeowners in less rentals it's making them have pride of ownership but when there is a conversion there is always the ability for that current owner to stay as a renter they do not have to buy into the association but once it transfers to the next person that next person is required to okay Interesting. So most of the so, ones I was involved in were uh, in the peninsula of the Bay Area, and they were, uh, I would call traditional garden style stacked condo units, a couple of stories tall. And yeah. I had them all the way up to like 350 units. They weren't small <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. Let's go to this interview process that the boards have when you're applying to be in the co-op. How do they prevent inadvertently excluding somebody on prejudice that is a tough line to walk so there's very strict governance of how you do it you work it out with your attorney to make sure you're in compliance all of it is set forth in the governing documents of the association as to how they're to do their interviews okay so so there's a very are, specific guideline they have to follow unless they're <laughs> older documents and they haven't been updated in a really long time and then you consult your legal counsel on that a lot of it is just a matter of turning in the paperwork. So you have an application, you're going to fill out the application just like you would at a rental location. You go through the entire list of questions and you submit references. If you are moving into an age restricted or funds restricted community, they're going to ask for your financials. They have the right to do that. And typically they run this through a third party that's going to do a background check. So they do criminal and financial checks to make sure that the person who is moving in isn't going to be a blight on the community. And then 
after all of that, if everything passes and they're not a threat or danger to the cooperative, then they would meet with the board and have an interview. There's very specific questions that are asked and the board can't deviate from those questions. If they do, they run the risk of, well, you talked about how you have a purple cat. So since I don't have a purple cat, uh, you must not want me to be your, in your community because of that. So co-op boards are trained that they must ask the questions the way that they're written and don't go off topic, don't go on tangents about, oh, well, you know, you're from Kalamazoo. We have a Kalamazoo burger place over here because someone can take that negatively. It's work and it puts a little bit more responsibility on board members who are trying to do their best, but usually are not professionals. So that's why it's recommended that normally they have a manager who's going to vet everything before it ever goes to the board. Smart. Yeah, I guess it's in a way like a job interview, huh, Bill? Yeah, you talked about a third-party company. So is a third-party company then coming back with a recommendation that their financial statements meet whatever requirements or guidelines that the co-op is set up? You're kind of like relying on a third-party consultant versus you guys doing the analysis? No. So uh, the board does the analysis. Okay. What it is, is that they take a look and get all of the, so if somebody has filed bankruptcy, we're going to see filed bankruptcy on this date for this amount. They have outstanding liens with, you know, PG&E and everybody else. And they're purporting that they have X amount of money coming in each month. The board will then take that and go, okay, you have thousand dollars coming in. Our assessments are $250. Then they're going to say, all right, if we take all of your debts, what the monthly amount would be. And then they look and see whether or not there's enough for that person to live on. Okay. So there it's, it's the old credit school then back, you know, back when it we used to buy cars and stuff and they actually looked to see if you could pay your bills. <laughs> yeah. They get a traditional mortgage then what's the mortgage or what's the lending environment for co-ops these days? So co-ops, they can go through any bank that's willing to loan to them. Most co-ops go through NCB, which okay. is National Banking Cooperative. That was the one that was around back in the 80s too. So yeah, they're, they're very good. They know this is their, it's their market for mobile home cooperatives. They're usually going through a dealer to purchase the mobile home itself. And so that dealer does financing just like you would on a car. Okay you're financing your house instead. So are they able, they, they wouldn't be able to sublet their co-op then? They can, if the documents allow for it. And under the new law about allowing rentals, cooperatives have to allow a certain percentage of rentals. So they can be foreclosed on too then? Yes, yeah, they can be foreclosed on. And it's usually foreclosure of the shares. So for non-payment, you can foreclose the shares and then you evict the person because they no longer have the occupancy rights. So who's in first position, the mortgage lender or the HOA with a co-op? So it depends on how it's written. So if you're in a mobile home cooperative and you did a private lender financing, you may not have first position. The association may end up with first position. Okay. If you have a loan through NCB, they actually... <laughs> pay up when somebody is defaulting on their assessments. Wow, that's nice. <laughs> they are required for them to 
be able to foreclose in the documents that they sign for a co-op, they have to agree to make those payments. So when someone is delinquent, as long as they have a loan through NCB, the association puts in a demand to their default division. That default division reaches out to the owner, chases the owner down. If the owner doesn't make the payment, they make the payment and tack it onto their mortgage. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's very nice to have that because in the state of California, you won't find it anywhere else. Does the rest of the managing of the co-op, is it similar then to just a board in an HOA where they're going to send notices and fines and parking violations and all that is still, it's all the same? It is all the same, but they usually have a lot more participation. Oh, People yeah. are very passionate about the co-op because they've done all of this work to get in and have this prestigious title. And then they're going to be very much, this is my place. <laughs> and sometimes they get a little too passionate, but you know, I would rather have people who are too passionate about the community that they live in than to not have, just to have apathy. So a developer, when they're building out an HOA, they write the CCNRs and submit them. Is it the same here that they are living by the developer's written co-op rules until such time as they update them and change it? Yes. Is it 10 years? Is it the same? They update them when they update them. Most cooperatives don't routinely update their governing documents, even though they should. A lot of them were and still are self-managed. And so they don't have the information that they need to update. So they could sue for construction defect repairs and... Depending upon the type of co-op. So when it comes to a mobile home cooperative, no. Yeah. Because they didn't build they're... Right. Structure. When, so if we're talking construction defect for a building, it's going to fall under the state guidelines, which could be different than Davis-Sterling. So if state only gives you five years, then you're stuck with state and not Davis-Sterling. It all depends on how the documents are written. Are there a lot of these in California? There's more mobile home cooperatives than there are traditional cooperatives, but they are mostly in the Bay Area or South. I could see where you definitely have to be a little specialized to manage these properties. And I could see why some of them stay in the self-managed role because there is a lot to learn and know, and they probably rely heavily on their attorney. They do. And if they don't, I would be very worried about them. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I really didn't know much about how the co-op worked. This was really enlightening and very interesting to me. And of course, the name of the podcast is HOA, It's a True Story. Do you have a story you would like to share with us? Oh, co-op story. This is, I have so many. A regular oh. Seinfeld episode. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, I guess. <laughs> how do you pick? I would say this mobile home cooperative that I used to manage, very, very passionate about their community, lots of recall elections. They were probably the most entertaining, but they did teach me a lot about fair housing. Mm. Uh, I actually went to uh, fair housing because a homeowner believed that we were sending them letters and picking on them, which was not the case. And we brought in, or I should say, I brought in with the attorney and everything, 436 pages 
of violations that had been sent over the last year to everyone in the community and showed them to uh, Fair Housing. We didn't show them to the other owner because they're not privied to who's in trouble. Right. But then we pulled out of the stack and they had three letters versus, you know, over 400 that went to other people. And, you know, for, I understand that they were upset and they thought they were being picked on. But when they had this gargantuan amount and were like, here's the dates, let's go through the monthly reports. Fair Housing actually dismissed their claim, which is hard to get. Fair Housing is always about the homeowner. It is. And to just have one meeting with Fair Housing and them to say, okay, they're definitely not being picked on felt like a huge success to me. Yeah, anytime you can prove that it's not a discriminatory act is a big win on your side of the books. Well, that's fantastic. Bill, you said you did a little bit of co-op stuff back in the day. Yeah, I mean, my, mine was issues. You know, we just, uh, we started, for some reason, I started doing conversions on one. I did one, and then it just kind of snowballed after that. So, <laughs> When you say you were doing conversions, were you converting an HOA to a co-op? No, co-op to a regular condominium. So we had to actually play, almost play developer, you know, map it. We had to work with the city. A lot of times the cities required all kinds of upgrades in order to have a condo thing. And then we had to do a massive signing deeds. Usually took two or three days to get everybody to come in to convert their stock certificate into a grant deed. And also at the time, we usually use master refinancing done at the same time because they were going from a co-op loan to a traditional condo loan. It was quite a process and not always pleasant. (laughs) Well, I know if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to us at inquiry at gbgroupinc.com and we'll forward them on to Becky. And I'm sure she'll be happy to answer any questions she can about her experience. Becky, thank you so much for being with us today. We totally and deeply appreciate your expertise in this area. Well, I appreciate coming on and talking about co-ops because they are something I'm very passionate about. I think that co-ops are fun and while they are more work, I enjoy them. (laughs) I think they're pretty interesting. That's for sure. Have some interesting benefits that, you know, as the industry's grown that, you know, I kind of appreciate now. (laughs) Yeah, I could see where these may take hold a little bit more in the future. I think side of mobile home parks, there may be some interest in going down this path in the future, especially how weird things have gotten. uh, You know, honestly, I just, I love the fact that co-ops can truly benefit their members in ways that a condo can't. By having that ability to evict somebody who is causing mayhem in the community is just, that's a huge thing. I mean, we've all experienced that. Uh, Who doesn't want to have someone removed from the community because they are just so disruptive? Thank you again, Becky. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.